morning, friends. Listen as I read Romans 6, 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dan. Um, so it's been a couple weeks uh, since I've since I've preached uh, here, and um, as I was coming into this Sunday, it just, uh, especially by midweek, it, it struck me that um, you know there may be a a lot of things that are stirring around in your heart as we as we gather this morning. Um, you know, some some things may be in regard to your March Madness bracket. Um, and, and, and weeping and gnashing of teeth as your, uh, as your bracket is on flames. Um, it could be in regard to COVID, you know, COVID progress. We're super thankful for the progress that's happening. The vaccine uh, rollout is, is uh, picking up speed and more and more people are getting their vaccine. And uh, man, if you're on the list, go get it because I'm way down the list and I've got to wait for you to get it. So go um, get, get your shots. Um, uh, there's lightened restrictions. Maybe you saw that the CDC actually suggested three, spa- uh, three feet of spacing instead of six feet of spacing uh, if, if you're wearing a mask. And so uh, we're thankful for that, uh, especially in a, in a room like this. Um, uh, and then the stimulus check. Can I get an amen? Yeah, the, uh, they're, they're on their way. So, um, But you might have concerns uh, about COVID too. Uh, maybe you've noticed that or uh, heard that Paris uh, has, has locked down again. Uh, that some parts of our world are dealing with variants that are um, just wreaking havoc. And uh, so some of those concerns, obviously, for those individuals, but then also for the potential that that those could show up here. Uh, So you might have a lot of conflicting emotions in regard to COVID. Uh, Some some of us um, may be wrestling with the the, uh, events of of Georgia this past week, where where eight people uh, were killed, and uh, they were killed by a, a young man who was a, a member uh, at a Baptist church, and so it strikes pretty close to uh, to home. Uh, and that has that event has stirred uh, multiple areas of, of cultural strain. Uh, some uh, have experienced this much more in the category of of uh, racial violence, especially racial violence against uh, Asian Americans. Uh, some have experienced it more specifically in regard to violence against women, as the vast majority of of the victims were female. Uh, some uh, learned more about this guy's story and the sexual addiction, sexual temptation that uh, he was uh, uh, struggling so, so severely with. Uh, and then some uh, in regard to the ongoing challenge in our nation uh, with gun violence. 
And uh, if you think of the variation of, of, uh, of realms in which th- th- this, this event uh, stirs emotions and stirs uh, complexity, you know, it just it reminds us of the fact that we, 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 uh, we live in a, a complicated time. Uh, we live in a complicated culture. Uh, the human soul is a complicated thing. Uh, the idea that you could read a headline and determine what, what was going on in the heart of this guy, positive or negative, one way or the other, uh, is pretty, probably pretty arrogant of us. And so I think there's an opportunity to just recognize that uh, it stirs uh, a lot of, of, uh, of issues for a lot of different, different groups. Um, maybe some of you uh, have, have concerns about the, uh, the Equality Act, which has been presented to, to Congress. And um, while we uh, uh, long for uh, every human being to be treated with dignity and to be treated right, um, if you're familiar with what's going on with the Equality Act, um, th- this is an event or this is an example of where trying to help one group is actually uh, putting other groups in significant danger. Uh, the, the, the potential danger towards women and children, the potential danger towards the unborn, uh, the potential danger towards religious institutions. Um, and there, uh, if you're familiar with the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious uh, Liberty Commis- uh, um, Committee, uh, you can look that up online and find their statement on this Equality Act, and it's uh, very, very helpful. So that might be stirring around for you, fears of what tomorrow holds. Um, maybe some of you are aware that uh, Sam Miller, uh, Sam and Laura, who are a dear part of our, our church family, uh, Sam uh, lost his, his 21-year-old daughter uh, in a tragic car accident on Wednesday night, Brooke. And uh, so our hearts have been mourning with the, the Miller family. Uh, so we, we bring all that in here, uh, all, all those things. And I understand, you know, in, some part, in some ways, maybe what television channel you watch the most depends on which one of those uh, bothers you more or which of those weighs on you more heavily. Um, but they're, they're, all, they're all stirring. They're all, they're all present. They're all around us. And there's plenty more. I mean, your, your, own, your own stuff, your own health issues, your own answered prayers, your own unanswered prayers, your relational issues, your relational praises, the, the things that you're personally scared about. Just, um, the list is so long of what happens when we, when we gather. And we say it frequently that when we plan these services, we try to plan them in light of the fact that we recognize we're all coming from different places and uh, some of the things that I just mentioned, may, you may not even have known about those things. Uh, for others, uh, it's the weight of the world on their shoulders. And so, you know, we, so here we are, and we're in this series on, on doctrine. And you could say, man, doesn't this seem clueless to preach, on, to preach on doctrine when there's these kinds of challenges and these kinds of weightiness, uh, these, these weighty things um, stirring around? Well, here, here is my hope. My hope is that today, as we continue on through the doctrinal statement of our church, uh, and we get the chance to look at these, these, these two ceremonies, baptism and, and the Lord's Supper, what you might know as sacraments or, or ordinances, yeah, I want to invite you throughout this sermon, throughout this time right now, to see how these very things are meant to be gifts to us as we navigate life. These are things that, that, that God has given to his people, and they are not empty. They are means by which God is, is at work in you and in the world. And so um, that my, my prayer is that you actually see, you come out of this sermon, you come out of this service with a greater appreciation uh, for these gifts that God has, has given uh, to, to his people. 
Now, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, maybe you've wondered about these. Maybe you've been uh, participated in these. You've partaken. Uh, but if you think about them, they do, they do seem a little weird. You know, th- th- this idea of, of baptism, it's like people standing in pools of water, sometimes, depending on the church, you know, wearing a white gown and uh, getting, getting baptized in, in front of a crowd, um, eat, eating, you know, the Lord's Supper, eating a small little piece of bread or almost like a cracker, uh, sometimes uh, drinking, uh, drinking juice or drinking wine. You know, I, I grew up in a really, really small church, a church of like 40 or 50 people. But when I, went, when I went to college, I started attending a church of about 500 people. And the auditorium of the church that I attended was very, very long. It was, it was, it was more narrow, and it was very extended. And uh, m- most of the college kids, I, actually, I think we were trying to defer to the, the normal church members, but we would often sit further in the back. And I remember one Sunday night uh, at Sunday night church taking communion, and for the first time in my life, being in a room that size... And watching everyone at that church, they distributed the, the elements. So you were, you know, someone brought a, uh, a piece of bread and a, and a juice cup to you. And so everyone was seated in their seat. And then like in unison, like 400 people all drinking this little cup of juice. And for the first time in my life, it was almost like I was a spectator. And I thought, that is a little weird. That, 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 that's a little spooky. It's like this, you know, it's almost, it felt almost cultish. It felt a little creepy. I'd never been in that big of a group and seen what it might look like to an outsider uh, to see everybody do that. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you think that these things are really weird. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you've been part of these things your whole life and, uh, and you feel like you have a reasonable understanding. Uh, but we are going to take our time this morning to, uh, to consider uh, these, these elements uh, or these sacraments. So here's our statement. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me and it's in the bulletin that you, uh, that you received uh, in the inside. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordained by the Lord Jesus himself. The former, baptism, is connected with entrance into the new covenant community, the latter with ongoing covenant renewal. Together, they are simultaneously God's pledge to us, divinely ordained means of grace, our public vows of submission to the once crucified and now resurrected Christ in anticipations of of his return, and the consummation of all things. Now, if you've been here through this series, you might be a little surprised at the brevity of this statement. This is one of the shortest statements in our doctrinal, in our church's confessional statement. And if you haven't tracked along, you know, we adopted this doctrinal statement from another organization called the Gospel Coalition. Uh, so we did not write these, these sentences, but you might still be surprised that it's just three sentences. And if, if you're familiar with church history, um, you know, it's like these, these practices right here, the, the, these practices have resulted in a lot of excommunications, people being kicked out of churches. Uh, they've resulted in executions, uh, you know, heretics being, uh, being drowned uh, or, 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 uh, or burned at the stake for their views on baptism or the Lord's Supper. Uh, plenty of church splits over the course of, of the centuries. And so you might be saying, why only three sentences? Well, uh, in, in part, uh, I think it's to make the main ideas the main ideas. It's to try to help us not get too caught up with the potential variations, but to actually root ourselves in the main idea of why is it that God gave us uh, these two ceremonies. 
So um, what I also like about our doctrinal statement is uh, the second half says together they are simultaneously. Um, and so uh, I'm going to try to finish the sermon by drawing some, some attention to what they're doing, both of them. So why do we practice these? And letting us see how they're both actually uh, uh, reminding us or declaring some very, very similar things. They're different, but they're declaring some very similar things things. So first, what are they? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, when we say the Lord's Supper, uh, you might think of communion or the Lord's table or the Eucharist. Uh, these are Christian ceremonies that have been given by Jesus and practiced by the church. Uh, you might know the term ordinances or you might know the term sacraments. Uh, you know, do those terms matter? And if they matter, which one is right? Uh, Protestant churches um, typically have two of them. Uh, Catholic Church has, has historically identified seven of them. Uh, but, but when you think about those words, ordinances, sacraments, I, I want to just try to give a little clarity to, to maybe the emphasis uh, that might uh, accompany the use of the word. So the word ordinance, that emphasizes the command. Uh, if you live in a community, there's often like local ordinances, laws, commands, rules. Um, doing what Jesus did, obeying his directions. Jesus said to do these things. So when the, when the word ordinance is used, you, you, you can put it in your mind by saying it's, it's almost, in a sense, it's emphasizing the, the command side. It's emphasizing this idea that, that, that Jesus said, you should do this. Uh, you could also say it's looking at what has happened to you. You have come to faith in Christ. You're now obeying his directions. You, you, you've, you've, you've given your life to Jesus, now you follow what he says. So if he ordains something, you could see how for Christians that is going to matter. So, yes, baptism and, and, and communion are both commanded, but are they only commands? Well, that's why putting both of these words up for us is a helpful, it's a helpful discussion. Because they are indeed commands, but they're not just commands. So what does the word sacrament bring to, to the table? Well, the, the word sacrament, it, we get it from the Latin word, but it actually comes from a Greek word for the word mystery. And so th this idea of sacrament, which also is related to the Latin idea of sacred, it emphasizes the means of grace. The, the word sacrament is, is, is reminding us or inviting us into this reality that as we go through these ceremonies, something is being imparted to us. It's, in a sense, emphasizing the supernatural activity. So if, it, if the ordinance is saying, obey, you, this is a command, do it, that's right and good. But when you use the term sacrament, the accent is more on God's at work in this. God's doing something here. This isn't simply obeying. It is obeying, but it's not just obeying. Now, when, when, when you know, I want to say people that prefer the word sacrament, they are usually not denying that these ceremonies are commanded. They're just simply choosing the word sacrament to imply that there is more going on. It's emphasizing not just what has happened, but what is happening in the moment. One author puts it when talking about when we reduce baptism or when we reduce the Lord's Supper to the strict sense of ordinance, to the strict sense of it's just an act of obedience, 
One author said this, those ordinances then, uh, no lo- they are no longer primarily about what God does, but what man does. There's this sense in which there's nothing supernatural occurring, as if the supernatural realm were off limits to the creator of the universe. God merely observes as we commemorate his work. And so this would be an abuse of the word uh, ordinance, where you look at the, 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 these acts of baptism in the Lord's table, and you have concluded, no, it, it, God's not involved here at all. It's me acting. It's, it's my work uh, towards him. It's me obeying the command that Jesus gave. The word sacrament helps invite this idea that if, if, if ordinance emphasizes what has already been done, the past, the sacrament adds the emphasis of what God is doing right now. You could say the current. So the idea of sacrament does not deny that Jesus commanded us to do them. I guess that's, that's, what, I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, it invites us into something, something deeper. Now, there are many who prefer the word ordinance, and they at the same time welcome and affirm God's imparting grace through the two ceremonies. So here's what I'm trying to say. One word's not right, and one word's not wrong. You might have really strong preferences. You, you might say, how dare you refer to ordinance? Don't you know? Sacrament is the right word. I, I get what you're saying, but you need, to, you need to recognize that if you are willing to step out, to pan out, and look at the conversation, one word is not right, one word is not wrong. They are emphasizing a different aspect of these ceremonies. And this is an opportunity for us to make a needed distinction between what you might refer to as the traditional Roman Catholic view of sacraments, of ordinances, and our view, uh, which is the more classical uh, Protestant view. And it has to do with this idea of, of, of means, to gr- uh, means of grace. There's a lot of confusion when we add that idea that God is at work in baptism in that moment that God is at work in communion in that moment, it can make a lot of people uncomfortable. The supernatural makes a lot of people uncomfortable. So here's the deal. We and most Protestants believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are indeed sacraments, that they are means of grace, that something is happening when we partake. However, here's the distinction. The grace that these sacraments impart is not saving grace. It might be referred to as strengthening grace, much like the grace that comes from the hearing of the word of God. If you grew up in more reformed or liturgical uh, Protestant circles, you might be aware of the fact that a very common phrase is word and sacrament. Word and sacrament. What do we do when we gather on Sundays? Word and sacrament. We want to receive the word of God. We want to hear the words of God. We want them to penetrate our heart. We want God to be at work in us. We often pray here, God, would you do the work this morning of little by little, degree by degree, making us more like Jesus even right now? That's us stating the fact that what we think is happening in here is not just intellectual learning of a Bible passage. It's not just eating a piece of bread or drinking a a cup of juice. We we actually think that God is at work in us. We actually think that the supernatural work of God is happening as we gather for worship. The the grace that these uh, sacraments impart is in light of and in response to the person who is receiving them. So um, there, there are some who think that if you just participate, if you just take communion, if you just get baptized, it doesn't matter where your heart is at. 
It doesn't have anything to do with what's going on inside of me. Just the external engagement with these sacraments, just doing that, it it makes them effectual. So ex opere operato, it means through the act performed. What what that means is, is that if you go take communion, you get these spiritual benefits regardless of what's going on in your heart. Um, if you get in the water and get baptized, it, de- it, it, it doesn't matter what's going on in your heart. You just, you got the spiritual benefit of being baptized. Well, the Protestant view would say, no, that that's not right. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie Nacho Libre. Um, and there is a, there's a sneak attack baptism in Nacho Libre. The guy comes up. He wants his friend to get baptized. His friend won't get baptized. He brings a bowl of water, and he sneaks up behind his friend, and he shoves his head, his, his head's friend in the bowl and says, you are baptized. Maybe you remember this. And it's like, it's a sneak attack baptism. And, and that's this idea where it's like, it doesn't matter what's going on in that individual. They just need baptism. It doesn't matter what's going on in that individual. They just need communion. Well, the Protestant view would say, no, it's not, it, it's not apart from what's going on in the heart of the person participating. It's in light of what's going on in the heart of the person participating. The Protestant church, uh, in our official position here at Sojourn, is we believe that the ordinances, that the sacraments are effective only for the one who has already trusted Christ. But they are not only past tense. Can, can you see how we're holding those things together? That if you have not come to faith in Christ, if your heart is not engaged, then the the sacraments are of of no benefit. However, there is something going on when you participate in the sacraments. God is at work in and through them. And God is at work in and through the individual. So let's take a look. Baptism. Uh, You you heard two passages read this morning, uh, Romans chapter 6, 1 through 5, uh, and then uh, the passage in 1 Corinthians. And and the first passage was in regard to baptism. So let's talk about baptism for a couple minutes. Uh, Baptism is consistently practiced uh, through the New Testament, and it's been consistently practiced for the 2,000 years of church history, uh, different continents, different cultures, different centuries, and it's been practiced uh, with different modes. Uh, over the course of the church's history, this is probably not going to be a surprise to you, uh, we sometimes reference that idea that the church is like a drunk man who falls off one side of the horse just to get on and fall off the other side. So throughout the course of, of, of church history, there's been seasons and individuals who have made baptism too important. They've made it a, a matter of salvation. If you are not baptized, you cannot be saved. Uh, then there's been times and individuals who have made baptism not important enough. There's been this downplaying of it, almost a a sense in which it doesn't really matter. You can do it if you want to. You know, there's plenty of churches that don't take a position on baptism at all, that don't even talk about baptism uh, much uh, either. Uh, We want to understand baptism as the New Testament teaches it. Um, Now, look, baptism sometimes is thought of as like, I got to clean myself up uh, to, to get baptized. You know, some say that baptism is for the nearly perfect um, no, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. And neither does the Bible teach that baptism will save you. Uh, the Bible clearly says that Jesus makes us righteous, not any action that we take, not, not even baptism. But baptism is far more than a hoop to jump through or a pointless exercise. You know, growing up, uh, as I did in, in a Christian home with parents who, who loved Jesus, uh, and some of you grew up in similar situations, uh, there's, there's a number of blessings and benefits that you get from that, and then there's a handful of challenges that you get from that. 
And one of the challenges actually can be this issue of, of baptism. So I, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, I made a decision to trust Jesus when I was really, really young, like five years old. Uh, it, my parents did not rush baptism. They didn't press baptism. Uh, but several years later, when, when I was 12, around, around 12, uh, I, got, I got baptized. And I remember very little about my baptism uh, and I remember a lot less, actually, about my confession of Christ. Uh, some of you were born in Reformed homes. Maybe you went to a Reformed church or to a Presbyterian church. And in those churches, they have a practice where if, you are, if, if, if Christian parents have a child, uh, those churches will baptize that baby as a sign of the covenant. And then years later in that child's life, by God's grace, they go through a process called confirmation where they make a public declaration of their faith in, in Jesus. In both the scenario that I grew up in and in a scenario where you grew up in a Reformed church and were baptized as a baby, it is easy to be confused about what happened when you were baptized. If you don't remember it, if, if you look in the rearview mirror and you're like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm going to trust my 12-year-old self that I was serious. I guess I'm going to trust my 12-year-old self that I knew what I was talking about. Um, you, you can see how uh, that, that, that could bring some confusion. And then others of you in this room came to, came to Jesus later in life and, and, and had a profession of faith and then were baptized at the age of 22 or 42 or 72. And, and, and you remember it quite clearly. Uh, baptism is, is so significant. What should we do about that? How, how should we navigate it? Well, I think it's important to understand what it is. Baptism is a sign and a seal. It's a sign. It points us to Jesus and his gospel. If you look at the passage in Romans chapter 6, that, that's, that, it's just so rich and so deep. And it is tying any idea of baptism to the person and work of Jesus, to the gospel news, to Jesus having died on our behalf and, rose, and, and having risen again. And so this sign of baptism, of being buried with Jesus, of dying with Jesus, of being brought to new life, to walk in newness of life, this baptism uh, that, we, that we practice as Christians is a sign. Baptism is a, is a picture. It's a picture of, of this, of this uh, work of Jesus. Where one of the reasons why we practice baptism by immersion is that the, the Romans chapter 6, the idea of being buried with Jesus and then being raised to walk in newness of life that, that, that experiential picture. You know, some, some theologians talk about the fact that um, you know, when you believe, you become part of God's church, his universal church, immediately. But the moment you're baptized, it gets tangible. It gets personal. It gets local. There's a group of people involved. It, it brings that universal church that's made up of all Christians from all time, some of who are living, some are who are dead, it, 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 it makes it tangible. It brings it personal. It, it actually, you feel the water on you. You, you. you recognize this sign. It's also a seal. What is a seal? That is the idea of being declared or marked officially and legally. It declares and marks our entrance into God's new covenant community. Baptism is this declaration that we are his. The seal declares it. Baptism is where God takes the general promise of the gospel and applies it to you in particular. Through baptism, God speaks it over me. If you've been to a baptism service here at, at Sojourn, every single baptism service, we say three things are going on right now. 
And here are the three things. Number one, this individual that's getting ready to be baptized is going to declare their faith. They are going to publicly state that their faith is in Jesus. That's one thing that's happening. No small thing. It's incredible. Second thing that's going to happen is that this local church, this this room full of followers of Jesus, are going to celebrate you. They're going to hear you testify your faith in Jesus, and they are going to affirm and celebrate that faith that you have placed in Jesus. The local church welcomes you. The third thing that's going to happen is that God declares over you that you are his kid. You know, when Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus you know, goes, goes into the water and comes up, and, and, and there's a voice that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What had Jesus done? Jesus had done nothing. He had preached no great sermons. He had done no great miracles. And yet in his baptism, God says over him, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And when you are baptized as one who has placed your faith in Jesus, God in that moment declares over you, this is my daughter. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so these things are all active in in a baptism. We are publicly marked by Christ's death and his resurrection. We're proclaiming that we belong to God. But there's even more. It's common to think of a profession of faith as an altar call or praying certain prayers. But those are things where we focus on what we say to God. In in baptism, we do make a public profession, but we also experience the welcome of a local church, and we hear what God now says about us. We are sealed, marked, welcomed, loved. We are his. Uh, And then there's tons of imagery, uh, as I mentioned already. Romans chapter 6 talks about Jesus' payment for our sin, that we're buried, we're immersed. talks about Jesus' resurrection, where we're raised from the grave, raised from the water, and then new life. Raised for what? Raised to walk in newness of life. Well, who should be baptized? Well, anyone who's confessed Jesus as their Savior. Anyone who's confessed Jesus as their Savior should be baptized. Uh, you, You might have heard this before, but it's often referred to as the first step of obedience. Jesus, uh, in his in his last words to the church, were go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, and baptizing them. So this is something that Jesus commands. That's one of the reasons why the word ordained or ordinance fits. What about Lord's Supper? Well, the Lord's Supper is also a sign and a seal. It's a sign. It points us as well to Jesus and his gospel. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Jesus talks about the bread and the cup, he says, this, what is this? What's this reflecting? My body being broken. My blood being spilled. It's pointing us to Jesus' work, this gospel news. It's also a seal. It's the ongoing covenant renewal. Uh, one author suggests that baptism is like our wedding day or our wedding vows, on your wedding day, you already love your spouse. You've already committed in your heart. But on your wedding day, when you share your wedding vows, you and your spouse go public with those promises. Well, the Lord's Supper then, if baptism is like our wedding day or our wedding vows, the Lord's Supper is like an anniversary. The Lord's Supper is like a date night. It's the ongoing renewal, the ongoing rekindling, the intentional engagement of that commitment. It invites remembrance, anticipation, confession, unity. Um, Anticipation, confession, participation, unity, and and thankfulness. And and the list could go on. 
But here's just a few from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When we come to the Lord's table, remembrance. How is that? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Anticipation. He says, do it until I come. I'm coming back. So don't just look backwards, look forwards. Do this until I come, because I am coming back. Confession. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a little bit further down, it talks about examining your heart as you come to the table. Participation. This is the idea of being in a covenant and then being welcomed at the table, that we actually are having a meal and sharing in Christ. Unity. We're called to do this together. When Paul rebukes the church in Corinth for the way that they're taking communion, you know, one of the problems was they were gluttonous. They were eating tons of food and drinking tons of drink, and they were getting drunk. But when Paul addresses them, do you know what, you know what his bigger concern is? He actually doesn't say, stop getting drunk. He says, would you wait for each other? Now, I, I don't know about you, but in the Western culture, especially in more conservative churches, it seems like we would be more worked up about people getting drunk. And people shouldn't get drunk. But Paul's bigger concern was, would you wait for each other? Would, would you do this together? This is a meal that's meant to be shared. It's a reflection of the unity that you have as the body of Christ. And then thanksgiving or thankfulness. Uh, the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. And it's associated with the Lord's Supper because Jesus gave thanks. So as we come to the table, there should be a, a heart or a posture of gratitude, of, of thanksgiving. Well, who should take the Lord's Supper? Okay, um, I don't know if you've felt any controversy so far, but we'll give you a little bit, all right? Who, who should take the Lord's Supper? Um, this is a sentence that has two um, parenthetical phrases, I guess. Believers who have been baptized, who are members of gospel-believing churches. Now, why are the second two things in parentheses? Here's why. At Sojourn, we do not require that all three of these things are true of you. Some churches do. But I want to actually make the case that these are in the order of importance. And so at Sojourn, what we ask is that the first one is true of you, for you to come and share at the Lord's table, that you are a believer. So qualification one, you have placed your faith in Jesus. Paul, in his writing about this, he says, do not take the Lord's Supper unworthily. These are ceremonies that are given to the followers of Jesus, to the people of God. Think about all the things I just men mentioned. Remembrance, anticipation, confession, participation, unity, thankfulness. C can you see how this doesn't make sense for someone who's not a follower of Jesus to come and partake at the table? And so I understand if it feels a little bit uh, uncomfortable on Sundays where, where we reference this idea that if you're a follower of Jesus, come receive the elements. And if you're not, stay in your seat and receive Christ. But it's because this meal, it's because this sacrament doesn't make sense unless you have confessed Christ as Lord. Second qualification, and this is a, you'll see how this is a logical connection. Again, we do not require this at, at, at Sojourn, but you'll see how logical it is that you've been baptized. Why? Now, in an individualistic culture, this is going to be hard to hear, but we, we need to hear it. The reason you should ideally only take communion after you've been baptized is that until you've been baptized, no one has actually said that you're a Christian except for you. 
Part of the journey of baptism is actually having other people hear your faith story. So as you move towards baptism here at Sojourn, you share your faith story. And you have other people who love Jesus and love the gospel hear your faith story and celebrate with you. Yeah, that's the gospel. Yeah, what you're putting your hope in, that's the truth of the gospel. That, that's exactly what the Bible teaches saves you. And so as you go through the process of going into the water of baptism, you have this grand affirmation that what you're putting your hope in is actually the gospel. When you get baptized, you not only have your pastors, but you also that Sunday morning have your spiritual family celebrate your faith story. And as we said a moment ago, you also have the God of heaven celebrating you as his. If you've never done that, then I say this gently, but who says that you're a Christian? Are, are you aware of our tendency to self-deceive? The process of baptism invites the opportunity for your story to be celebrated by others who believe that gospel too. Third, um, that you are a member of a, a gospel-believing church. Why is this a helpful third step? Well, it adds affirmation that there's a group of people in your life right now who affirm that you're a Christian. Let's just say you trusted Jesus. In, in my case, I trusted Jesus almost 40 years ago. I was baptized like, 20, oh, like 33 years ago. So I was baptized 33 years ago. That doesn't say a whole lot about today. But if I'm part of a local church, if I'm a member at a local church, if I'm engaged in community where I've signed the dotted line, where I've actually said to a group of people, I want to be part of this. I actually, I want to be part of God's work at this church. I want to be engaged in a way to where I hold you accountable and you hold me accountable. You, you can see how that is going to assist you as you come to the table to not come to the table in a, in a, worthy, in a, in a manner that's unworthy. It's part of the way that God is designed for his people to live. We're not designed to live as lone rangers. We're actually designed to live in a covenant community. So, FYI, keep your eyes open for our next membership class. Uh, keep your eyes open for our next baptism classes. Um, do it. If you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, do it. If you, if you, if you want to call, if, you, if sojourn is where you worship, we would invite you to begin the process of, of church membership of covenanting yourself with a group of people uh, who love you and love Jesus too. So let's finish uh, with a few minutes of kind of an overview. Let's kind of put these together. Why should we do them? And these have been touched on, so I'll try to move, move a little quickly here. First, obedience to Christ. Both of these sacraments, both of these ordinances are commanded. Second, confession of sin. Baptism is a promise and a declaration. Romans 6 says that we have been raised, but why? We have been raised to walk in newness of life, to turn from our sin, and to trust Jesus. Look, what's the whole point of the water rushing off of you? You know, there's, if you read church history, you'll, you'll know that back in the day, there was actually a priority that if you could do the baptisms in running water, that was preferred. What's the point of that? Like, get out in a river and have the water running. Why? Washing your sins away. What, what, washing away the old, bringing in the new, raised to walk in newness of life. Confession of sin and baptism go hand in hand. What about the Lord's Supper? Well, we just said a moment ago that in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says to the Christians, search your heart. 
Check your heart as you come to the table. Check your heart as you join in this meal. See if there's any sin going on there. This is an invitation to an ongoing posture of of, of being, being aware of your sin tendencies. Now look, we should not be surprised to find sin in our life. You know, one, one of the reasons why scandals break out, a pastor preaches a sermon on sin and everybody freaks out, it's because they don't talk about sin enough. There's not a recognition of how, how invasive sin is. Now, what we don't want to do is end up being focused on sin. Think of it more like weeding a garden. Why do you weed a garden? I mean, I'm not a gardener, but part of the reason why you weed a garden is weeds detract from the quality of the garden. And when you look at your life and you see sin in your life, it is stealing from you God's good design. It is stealing from you what God says is the good life. When we turn from our sin, we're actually trusting and walking in God's good way. We're not trying to earn his salvation. He gives that freely. But these practices, baptism and the Lord's Supper, invite us into this journey of confessing our sin. Uh, Identification with Christ and his people. We've mentioned this already, but union, adoption, covenant. Baptism says that we are buried and raised with Christ. Communion says we get to participate in Christ. Proclamation of Christ and anticipation of Christ. Remember, both of these are signs. They proclaim the gospel. At someone's baptism, the public declaration of their faith is proclaiming the gospel. And it's an encouragement to the person who says it, but it's also an encouragement to the church. You know, maybe some of you are aware of this, but in the Westminster a Larger Catechism, there's actually uh, some language in there that suggests that we should uh, keep after, keep doing the work of improving our baptism. What are they talking about? What they're saying is this, is when, when somebody else gets baptized, you, you get to celebrate that. You get reminded that that gospel really does save, that that simple message that that person standing in the water is professing is true for you too. It's this invitation to identify with Christ and his people, to proclaim that gospel, then to anticipate, to anticipate Christ. They remind us that while God has worked in us and is still at work in us right now, there's future work coming. The story's not over. We'll talk about this in the next two weeks, but Jesus Christ will return. Our resurrection, Christ's return. And then grace from Christ. Both of these are seals that mark you and grow you as God's people. Baptism, as the water floods over you, God floods your heart with confidence that he really has saved you, that you really are his. The Lord's Supper, as you are strengthened and nourished by physical bread and physical drink, God strengthens and nourishes your heart with spiritual refreshment. Can I explain that fully? No, I cannot explain that fully. We we, we trust Christ that part of the way in which he grows us into the image of Jesus is by practicing these ceremonies that he has given to us. And it's why our church practices communion every Sunday. The bread and the cup do not become Jesus' body and blood, but they do present Jesus to us in a way that we do not fully understand. Here's what I want to finish with. In the end, these ordinances, these sacraments remind us that the gospel message actually has two crucifixions. Jesus' crucifixion and mine. 
You see, the world is in desperate need of what Jesus' crucifixion brought. Jesus' crucifixion brought the payment of our sin, and we are in desperate need of a crucified Savior who went to the cross, who died in our place, who took upon him all of our sin. Jesus is our one and only hope. But our response to that news is actually another crucifixion. In our doctrinal statement, it says that these are public vows of submission. These practices compel us to give up our efforts to save ourselves. Galatians chapter chapter 2, verse 20, that that, that passage is where, where Paul invites us. He says that I am crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. So yeah, Jesus literally went to the cross and died in our place. And if he didn't do that, we are hopeless. But when we find out about that news, what we say is, I need to die. I need to be crucified. I need to give up my own agenda. And I need to cling to this new life that God promises me in Jesus. I need to abandon my self-salvation projects and trust that Jesus actually can save me. Baptism is a one-time declaration that I have given up my life, that I have died with Jesus and I have been risen with him to new life, that God has welcomed me into his family because of Jesus. Communion is the ongoing declaration that I am not my own, but that my life is in Christ and it's a reminder that I am fully welcomed at God's table. When we partake in communion, we are reminded that if Jesus did not die and rise again, then all the stuff that we're doing and all the stuff that we are saying is completely empty. So grab your cup if you have it. The bread is in that top little uh, cellophane section. And this is what Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received with the Lord, uh, from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Drink. God, we celebrate these gifts of yours. We celebrate the water of baptism. We celebrate the bread and the juice of communion. God, we thank you that in these supernatural ways, You have saved us, and in these supernatural ways, you are forming us. You are maturing us. You are sanctifying us. You are at work through your word and through these means, these sacraments, these gifts from you that form our souls, that draw us close, that uh, as we taste that bread and juice on our tongues, that we are reminded that our souls are being nourished that this is the, the, uh, a sign of the real food that we need, the bread of heaven, the bread of life. God, would you fill us now? Would you give us eyes to see your son Jesus more clearly today? In whose name we pray, amen.